listening to the Christchurch Mequon Podcast, where every day we're lifting lives and elevating Christ, a church for those not here yet. For more information and resources, visit our website, ChristchurchMequon.org. Now, we hope you enjoy this relevant message from Vicar Nathan Miskey. Hey, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Christ Church. We're a church about lifting lives, elevating Christ, a church for those not here yet. And whether you're joining us here in East, you're joining us over in West, or joining us online, welcome. Thank you for choosing to be part of worship here at Christ Church this morning. If I haven't met you yet, my name is Nathan. I'm a vicar here at Christ Church, which is a fancy way of saying pastor in training. You've heard it a few times already, but next week we're starting a new message series called I Am Christ Church, which is all about how we live as the people of Christ Church. What are the practices we put in place in our lives so that we can be the people God has called us to be and be the church that God has called us to be here at Christ Church. In conjunction with this series, we have Easter groups, five weeks of a small group. We're so excited for this. Great opportunity to get involved, to get engaged on a small, low commitment, just five-week setting uh, where you can get involved in a deeper element of your faith. We're super excited about it. It's one of the best things we do. We hope before you leave today, you get signed up for an Easter group. We also have Ash Wednesday coming up on Wednesday. We'd love to see you there for that as well. But this morning, we are finishing up our two-week message series on holiness. And so we're going to begin by doing a little bit of review of last week. If you were with us last week, this will sound familiar, but it's important to refamiliarize ourselves with these concepts because they are going to tie into what we're speaking about today. If you weren't with us, you can go back later and watch the sermon, but you'll catch up quick with a little bit of review we're doing. But holiness is this concept that we, that we find in the Bible, that we find theologically, we hear about it in churches, and it's this idea of something being so good and unique and powerful that it is set apart. It is different from the rest of creation. And it's so good, and it brings life, and God is the ultimate, uh, the ultimate uh, idea of holiness. God is the ultimate holy being, holy thing, holy figure, and other things are holy too because God has made them holy. But God is so powerful and so life-giving and so good that it is actually dangerous. Holiness is dangerous. And the analogy we used to explain this last week was the sun, right? The sun is good. It brings life. It is powerful. But if you get too close to the sun, it becomes dangerous for us. Uh, We would literally burn up and die. And so we don't want to do that. And God is similar, right? If we, in our impurity get too close to God, then it becomes dangerous for us. But if God makes us pure, then it will be safe. And purity is this concept we discussed last week, uh, where you are ritually clean. And so purity is all about life. And so if you're ritually clean, if you are all about life, then you can present yourself before God. But if you are relating to death, whether you touched a dead body, you touched some animal, uh, some, uh, animal blood, you touched like diseased flesh, all of these things relate to death, and so they would make you impure. And what happens is if you touch something impure, that makes you impure, right? If a pure thing and an impure thing interact, the impurity transfers over. But in Isaiah's story... Something new happened. Something unique happened. This is the story we looked at last week, where Isaiah comes into the temple of God, and he's in God's presence, and he's terrified because he knows he's dirty. He's unclean. He says, I have filthy lips. But an angel takes this coal, which had been in God's presence, which had been made holy and was pure, and he touches it to Isaiah's lips. And those filthy lips become clean, and Isaiah himself becomes pure. 
For the first time, something pure has touched something impure, and it was the purity that transferred over so that both things were now pure. And we concluded last week with this thought, that Jesus transfers his purity to you. That Jesus transfers his holiness and his love and his grace and his purity to you. We see stories of Jesus touching lepers and then becoming healed, him touching the eyes of blind men and them being able to see. And Jesus, when we are touched by Jesus' water and baptism, when we are touched by his presence and communion and bread and wine, when we hear the words we are forgiven and we believe them, we receive the purity of Jesus transferred to us. And so with this context, with this setup in mind, we're going to look at our main story for today, which comes from the book of Ezekiel. Now, Ezekiel was a prophet uh, in the Old Testament. He's a major prophet, which doesn't mean that he's more important than other prophets. It means he wrote more than most other prophets. Uh, there are 48 chapters in the book of Ezekiel. And Ezekiel was a prophet in the time of the exile. And so what had happened was the kingdom of God, uh, the kingdom of Israel rather, had split into two. There was the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And both of these kingdoms were eventually conquered and sent into exile. The northern kingdom conquered by Assyria, and the Babylonians conquered Assyria, and then conquered over the southern kingdom as well, and sent the Jewish people into exile. And Ezekiel was prophesying in this time when they were not in their homeland, they were not in the land God had promised to them, but they were living in exile in Babylon. And at this time, Ezekiel received a series of visions. Now, a prophet in the Bible often was given a message from God to speak to God's people. And often this message was basically telling them, stop doing these bad things, start doing these good things. It was stop worshiping idols, stop treating the poor badly, right? start doing these other good things. But there are sometimes in prophecy that it was future-looking, that these are the things yet to come. And Ezekiel is actually, of all the prophets, maybe one of the more forward-looking prophets, one of, the, one of the prophets who God gave visions of things to come more often than other prophets. And at the end of his book, in chapters 40 through 48, so the last nine chapters, it goes to this really long, extensive vision of the temple. But it's interesting because at this time, the temple did not exist. You see, they were kind of between temples, because when the Israelites were conquered and sent into exile, Babylon destroyed the temple that was in Jerusalem, the temple that Solomon had built. Now, after they returned from exile, they rebuild the temple and create the second temple. If you've ever heard the phrase second temple Judaism, it refers to the period where the second temple was built. And Jesus spent time in this temple. This second temple was the temple he preached from, from the temple steps. This was the temple in which he overturned uh, the tables of the money changers who were ripping people off in the temple. This was the temple which was destroyed by Rome in 70 AD and the temple whose western wall still stands today and people make pilgrimages to, to pray at this temple. But in Ezekiel's vision, he's not referring to the first temple which had existed. He's not even referring to the second temple which is yet to come. He's looking forward even to a future temple, even for us today. And at the very end of the vision, in Ezekiel 47, the second last chapter, we come to this story. In my vision, the man, who was an angel, brought me back to the entrance of the temple. There I saw a stream flowing east from beneath the door of the temple and passing to the right of the altar on itself. Side. So within the temple, there's now this small stream which is forming. Right? It's going out next to the altar, and it's this just small little stream, just a trickle, flowing out 
to the east side of the temple. Now, this is, we're going to find out this is a good thing. The stream is a good thing. It's not like a leak where there's going to be water damage or anything like that. This is, this is a good thing. The man brought me outside the wall through the north gateway and led me around to the eastern entrance. There I could see the water flowing out through the south side of the east gateway. So now they get outside the temple complex, outside its walls, and they see that this stream is continuing, and it's continuing to move to the east. Measuring as he went, he took me along the stream for 1,750 feet, which is about one-third of a mile, and then led me across. The water was up to my ankles. So they moved down to the east about a third of a mile, and then they, they walk across, and the water comes up to their ankles. They walk across the stream, which has grown, right? It was just a trickle coming out of the temple, and now it is up to their ankles. He measured off another 1,750 feet and led me across again. This time the water was up to my knees. The water's growing. After another 1,750 feet, it was up to my waist. This small little stream has turned into a, maybe a creek or a small river. Right? They're a mile down now in the creek, the, the river, the water has grown. There's more and more of it. And they keep going. Then he measured another 1,750 feet, and the river was too deep to walk across. It was deep enough to swim in, but too deep to walk through. A small little trickle next to the altar has grown into a mighty river. If you're keeping track at home, they're about a mile and a third down this river. He asked me, have you been watching, son of man? Then he led me back along the river bank. When I was returned, I was surprised by the sight of many trees growing on both sides of the river. And so they had been walking to the east, a mile and a third down this river, walking across as they go, back and forth across the river, measuring it. And when they turn around and they walk back, they see trees where there was not. They see life where there was not life before. Then he said to me, this river flows east through the desert into the valley of the Dead Sea. The waters of the stream will make the salty waters of the Dead Sea fresh and pure. This river flows east out of the temple which is presumably in Jerusalem, all the way to the waters of the Dead Sea. Now, the Dead Sea is famous for being salty. It's the fourth saltiest body of water in the world. It is called the Dead Sea because nothing lives in the Dead Sea. The only living things, there's no fish, there's no like birds that, that hang out there. The only living things in the Dead Sea are like microorganisms, like some bacteria and things, and some tourists you'll see floating around in the Dead Sea. That was it. But here, the waters of the stream will make the salty waters of the Dead Sea fresh and pure. When this river of life, which is what we'll call it from now on, when the river of life interacts with the waters of the Dead Sea, it becomes pure. Now, prior to Isaiah's story, when something impure touched something pure, the impurity passed over. And you know this with water. If you mix a cup of fresh water with a cup of salt water, you pour them together, you get salt water, right? It might be a little more diluted, but it is certainly still salty. But here, the salt water interacts with the fresh water, and there is now fresh water. And this water is pure. The purity of the river of life has extended to the Dead Sea. And there will be swarms of living things wherever the water of this river flows. Fish will abound in the Dead Sea, for its waters will become fresh. 
Life will flourish wherever this water flows. This water comes in and it purifies it. It makes it fresh. And it takes what was dead and makes it alive. And not just a little alive. It's not like there's now one or two fish living in the Dead Sea. No, fish will abound. So much so that fishermen will stand along the shores of the Dead Sea all the way from En Gedi to En Eglaim. The shores will be covered with nets drying in the sun. If you're wondering where these places are, En Gedi is on the western side of the Dead Sea. Uh, and En Eglaim is the only location in the Bible, uh, is the only location in the text where we hear about this place. Uh, so we don't know exactly where En Eglaim is, but scholars think based on context clues it would be on the east side of the Dead Sea. So basically, they're saying all the way across the Dead Sea, they're fishermen. And they're fishermen whose nets were caught, and they're drying in the sun because there were so many fish. There's so much life abounding in the Dead Sea. What once was filled with death is now filled with life. And fish of every kind will fill the Dead Sea, just as they fill the Mediterranean. This Dead Sea, this source of nothing but salt, has become the biggest sea that these people have ever interacted with, which is the Mediterranean. But the marshes and swamps will not be purified. They will still be salty. The places not touched by the river of life, well, they will not have the life that the Dead Sea now has. Fruit trees of all kinds will grow along both sides of the river. The leaves of these trees will never turn brown and fall, and there will always be fruit on their branches. This life isn't temporary either. This life continues forever. They will never turn brown and fall. There will be a new crop every month, for they are watered by the river flowing from the temple. The fruit will be for food and the leaves for healing. Now keep some of these details in mind. There's going to be a new crop every month, and the leaves of these trees will be for healing. Keep that in mind. It'll come back into play later. So what was this story all about? What do we learn from this text from Ezekiel, from this vision that Ezekiel has? Well, we find out that these waters, the waters of the river of life, bring purity and life. Of course, the river of life brings life. It takes what was impure, what was dead, and brings it to life and to purity. And this happens in our own lives, too. Right? When we are baptized, when we are touched by the waters of baptism, it takes us in our spiritual deadness and makes us alive. It brings life to us. Jesus himself in John 3, as he's talking to Nicodemus, Nicodemus, talks about being born again and entering into new life. And this happens in the waters of baptism. And so the waters of baptism and these waters of the river of life bring purity and life. And God's holiness brings life to death. Because remember where these waters started. These waters started in the temple. These waters started in the temple, which is the place where in the Old Testament God's presence lived. That is where God's presence was. But we know that when Jesus died on the cross, the veil of the temple curtain tore in two. And God's presence was unleashed out into the world. And now God lives in you and me. Because when we receive purity and holiness, God's presence resides in us too. And so God's presence is within you, meaning you are God's temple. God's temple is all of creation, but you specifically are God's temple, meaning the river of life flows out of you. 
Jesus himself says in John 7, anyone who believes in me may come and drink, for the scriptures declare rivers of living water will flow from his heart. Rivers of living water, a river of life will flow from your heart. And so, it's not just about you receiving this purity. It's not just about you receiving this holiness. It's not just about being touched by the waters of the river of life, the waters of baptism, and entering into this purity. It's about that river flowing from you as well. Like the river flows out of the temple in Ezekiel, it should flow out of you so that everything that the water that flows out of you touches and interacts with brings purity and life. You are a temple of God, and you have been set apart by him. You have been made pure by him. You have been made holy by him, not just for yourself, but you have been set apart to spread God's holiness to those around you. We at Christ Church have a mission statement. I'm, I've heard, I'm sure you've heard it. Lifting lives, elevating Christ, a church for those not here yet. We have been set apart by God as those here already to spread God's holiness to those not here yet to let the river of life flow out of us to those who have not yet received it. Now this idea, this concept of holiness and purity and the river of life doesn't just end with Ezekiel. It doesn't just get brought up again by Jesus in the Gospels. No, it goes to the very end, to the very last chapter of the Bible in Revelation 22. But to understand it, we kind of got to understand where we started And by that, I mean in the beginning. Because when God created Adam and Eve, he gave them a job. He gave them a mission, which is to have dominion over the earth, to take care of it. The earth is God's temple. Creation is God's temple. And Adam and Eve were given the job of taking care of all of God's creation. And that's our job today, too. We're able to do that because the river of life flows out of us. But we come to Revelation, and Revelation is this vision that John has as he's been exiled on the island of Patmos. And he's been exiled on this island and receives this vision, this vision of what is to come, of the end times, of the last things. And it's really, really confusing. And it talks about how we're going to get to that, and all the things that are going to happen and transpire, and it's full of like this symbolic language, and there's like seven letters, and seven seals, and seven scrolls, and there's a dragon, and there's all these confusing things. And if you read it, you're probably going to go, I don't understand any of this. And if you feel like you understand all of it, honestly, I'm concerned for you. But, <laughs> but it comes to the end, to the very end of the very end of the Bible, the end of Revelation. And Ezekiel's river shows back up. The river that was first prophesied by, about by Ezekiel now is prophesied about by John, the last chapter of the Bible. Then the angel showed me a river with the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. This river of life shows back up. And it flows not from the temple, but from the throne of God himself, from the throne of the Lamb of Jesus himself where God, where Jesus reside. It flowed down the center of the main street. On each side of the river grew a tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, with a fresh crop each month. The leaves were used for medicine to heal the nations. This river, once again, brings a new crop each month, brings healing to the nations. No longer will there be a curse upon anything, for the throne of God 
and of the Lamb will be there, and his servants will worship him. And they will see his face, and his name will be written on their foreheads. We look forward to this day. We can look upon God's face. Because if we remember back to last week, remember the story of Isaiah entering into God's presence in the temple and being terrified because his lips were filthy. He was impure. And he knew that he was not holy and pure enough to stand in God's presence. He was in danger to even be in God's presence, let alone look at God's face until the angel made him pure. And that angel that made him pure and the other angels that were in this story, even in their purity, even in the holiness of the angels, if you remember, they were covering their eyes. With two wings, they covered their eyes because they would not look upon the holiness of God because even in their holiness, they weren't holy enough to look upon God's face. But we look forward to this day when we will see God's face and not be in danger, but be safe because we will be, have been made so pure and so holy and have been so set apart by God. And there will be no night there, no need for lamps nor sun, for the Lord God will shine on them and they will reign forever and ever. See, at the very end, God's holiness will shine upon you and you'll be able to bear it and it'll be so good. It'll be so unique. It'll be so powerful and it won't be dangerous for you because God has set you apart. But he doesn't just set you apart. He sets all of creation apart. His plan isn't just to redeem you. His plan isn't just to redeem his people. His plan is to redeem all of creation. When God made Adam and Eve, he gave them the role of taking care of all of his creation, all of his temple, everything he had created, the people, but the things too. And God has set all of creation apart. But he gives you a job too. He gives you the same job he gave Adam and Eve, which is to take care of all of his creation. And you get a special role. You have been invited to take part in making everything holy. You see, when we are touched by the river of life, it is not just supposed to make us pure, but it is supposed to flow out from us to the world so that everything we interact with can be made pure too. So how do we do that? How do we go about in this life, in this world, making all things pure? How do we live so that we can actually accomplish these things? Well, we're starting a new series next week. I'm Christ Church, How We Live. We're going to talk about how we worship, how we invite, how we serve, how we give, how we rest, how we put into place these practices that can allow us to be filled by God's living water and allow that living water to flow out of us into the lives of the people around us and into the creation around us so that we can take part in making everything holy. So please, join us in our journey to Easter so you can hear more about how you get to take part in making everything holy. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you once again, Jesus. We thank you that you have made us pure. Help that living water that flows into us Help it to flow out of us into the lives of those around us. Jesus, for those of us who think we are not worthy, we are not pure, we are not holy, help us to know that is okay. 
because you are making us pure. You are making us holy. God, this morning as we take communion, as that bread touches our lips, as that wine touches our lips, help us to be reminded, Jesus, that you are present in the bread, you are present in the wine, and your purity is present too. So that is, it touches our impure lips. We know that we are being made pure. We are being forgiven. We are being given grace. We are given love in the midst of communion. Jesus, help us to be reminded of the promise as you have made to us. God, help us to be reminded of the role you have given us. Not to just be people who have been set apart for our own purposes, but people who have been set apart to do your work in the world, to take care of the people around us and the creation you have gifted us with. Help us to be people who take part in making all things holy. Jesus, we love you. We praise you. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Christchurch Mequon podcast. Find your next step and let us know how we can be praying for you at Christchurchmequon.life slash podcast. Hit that subscribe button and until next week, God bless.